Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Low Season Traveller Insider Guides. I'm Jed Brown, founder of Low Season Traveller, and this week we're in the Baltics, where I recently returned from a trip over to Latvia's capital city of Riga. With a skyline dominated by its Gothic spires, you'd be forgiven for expecting just another Gothic city like many others in the region. However, it's Riga's UNESCO-listed Art Nouveau district which forms the very heart of this vibrant and exciting city. With hip bars, modern art centres, avant-garde suburbs and wonderfully green parks, Riga offers a classic low-season city break experience with something for everyone. I caught up with Martins Engelis from the Tourism Department of Latvia's Investment and Development Agency to discover if all was as I have described and his candour intrigued me. Enjoy. So I'm here with this morning with Martin Engelis, who is the leading expert at the Tourism Department of Investment and Development Agency here in Riga, Latvia. A very good morning to you, Martins. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, great to have you here, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with Low Season Traveller uh, this morning on a little bit of a cloudy day in Riga compared to yesterday. It's an exception, though. It's an exception, of course. It's, it's sunny all the time. <laughs> you know, we have a cloud here and there, and then we go back to uh, climate change. Yeah, fair play. I believe actually a couple of weeks ago it was about 30 degrees someone was telling me. Yeah, we are very much affected by that. A lot of people still don't believe it, but climate change is coming and the weather has been absolutely gorgeous for the last couple of years at this time of year, yeah. comparing to what happened even like 10 or 15 years ago. So you can see that uh, summers are warmer and, and springs are warmer and, and winters are maybe cold but for a very short period of time so the weather is pretty unpredictable these days so latvia is very much experiencing that as we speak now i suppose look at the at the outset could you could you just provide our listeners with a little bit of an overview to riga and indeed latvia uh, for those who who may not be as familiar with riga and indeed latvia I need to begin with saying that I have two opinions. One of the opinions is the official one I represent, uh, and I represent the Investment and Development Agency of Latvia as an agency uh, located under Ministry of Economics. So in Latvia, tourism is an, an, economical, uh, an economic industry, mm -hmm. so to say. And, and from, from, the, from the other hand, there is me as an urban explorer or as a, as a tourism critic, as, uh, as an alternative tourism guide for many years and, and also myself as a person that travels looking for authenticity and locality. But these two things sometimes do not fit together and, and that puts me in a very interesting position. But from the first point of view, if I represent uh, the Ministry of Economics and if I represent the tourism department, then tourism is doing very well. And in recent years, we've been facing growth that is the largest in the Baltic states. We have more and more people coming. For example, Riga had, uh, as the last statistics say, around 1.4 times more travelers and tourists than the previous year. And that results around 3 plus million people. Uh, of course, when we talk about beds, then it's, it's lower. Mm -hmm. uh, because we also need to account on, on people that come here for the day and then they leave. And especially because of last year, there was a centenary event. So Latvia was celebrating 100 years of, of its independence, well, at least how it was announced 100 years ago. We didn't really have much of independence in the last 100 years. But it did brought a lot of people uh, literally for a day to enjoy the events and going, and going away. And uh, that statistics actually brought us back to 1980s when Riga was facing a huge amount of people also coming from now post-Soviet countries. And Riga was always, and still is, has always been a destination for post-Soviet uh, people um, to see the West, the closest of the West. And, and Riga was literally the closest of the West, west of this uh, Western architecture and, and more free lifestyle and, and, and culture and music that was always slightly different. And of course the beach. And as we, as we all know, uh, we still have 500 kilometers of the beach. Back then in Soviet time, we didn't have it uh, available because there were several uh, areas that were militarized. But still we had um, 
the Urmala seashore town, which is right next to Riga, and during the Soviet time it was basically counted in into territory of Riga. So uh, when a lot of people said I'm going to Urmala, they were saying I'm going to the to, to the Riga beach. Uh, but anyway, nonetheless, uh, the amounts of people were were huge, also three plus million. Uh, this year, well, like I said, we had a lot, lot of people coming to the country too. So two million, uh, two million bed stays, uh, plus three plus million of people staying in Riga. But uh, as we all know, it's very hard to talk about statistics these days because we have those shadow travelers that stay, starting from the most popular platforms using Airbnb. And, and they stay in, in destinations also using couch surfing, also friends and relatives. And uh, since we are in the middle of the Baltic states and, and we have fairly good connections between the countries on road or on boat, um, so a lot of people come here unnoticed. Mm -hmm. We are part of Schengen zone, so a lot of people cross over the borders and they're not detected. So uh, when we say these numbers, when we say these millions, we usually Somewhere in mind, at the back of the head, we, we, we always add some several hundreds of thousands yep. because there are literally a lot of people that use uh, Airbnb and a lot of people that visit friends and relatives. Uh, even when we talk about the scale of a country, there are people that, um, that visit friends and relatives over the border, like Estonia and Lithuania. Uh, many of them never reach Riga. They, they uh, enter some, some greener areas and maybe stay somewhere else and stay at friends and and uh, a few towns um, are in, in the distance of 100 kilometers from Riga have become very active or very interesting for, for the youth, for the young adults. Um, and of course, they have friends. Mm -hmm. Of course, a lot of campers also come here. We have a great amount of people from Germany, from, uh, from the Netherlands, also from, from Finland coming here with, with, uh, with their RVs. Um, so, when there's statistics, there's always this grey zone that we cannot count, but we, we always are sure that there are more people. And uh, so, yeah, that's the general, general idea of, of us doing actually pretty well, and speaking about numbers, but uh, numbers is not everything. Absolutely. Well, I was just going to say that. There's been a lot of talk recently. You know, we, we, we talk a lot in the tourism industry on the, the KPI mentality of tourism development. And um, in the UNWTO, um, they had a, a webinar recently and they were talking about 2018 being the best ever year for international tourism. And what they meant by best ever year was the highest number of international mm -hmm. tourists. And I, I sort of made a point at the time saying I'm not really sure that that's the best measure of what's a, a good tourism year, in inverted commas, because obviously we see you know, examples of over-tourism and how tourism can at times be destructive, especially for local communities. How do you, how do you manage then the, the tourism numbers? Do you, do you talk about the best, you know, if it was the best year in Riga, is that, is that purely by numbers of visitors? How, how, do you, how do you measure it here? What's a good year look like? A good year is an economical year. Okay. It's not social. It's not uh, mental, it's not uh, any other year, sadly. Uh, I, would like, I would like ourselves to follow the idea of Bhutan, that you measure happiness, and you measure happiness with a lot of tools and a lot of measurements. And, and I'm a big fan of locality and authenticity. I'm a big fan of uh, uh, asking people uh, at the end of the year, uh, were you happy about tourists coming to the city? Mm. And then asking tourists, were you happy about the locals? Or were you yeah. happy about the environment? Were you happy about the city? Were you happy about what you expected and what you, uh, what you received? And uh, yes, the, the statistics are growing. And yes, the business is going, and, uh, going on. And yes, the money is rolling in. But we all know many cases around the world, uh, starting with the... Uh, Iceland and Reykjavik, starting with Barcelona, then going, moving on to Venice, uh, moving on to Paris, uh, uh, moving on to any other large town, in this case large city in Europe, uh, that money is one thing, you know, fulfilling the KPIs uh, announced 
as aims to fulfill at the end of a year when talking about money, talking about numbers, talking about beds occupied. That's one thing. But the other thing is when, when, when people feel comfortable, when locals feel comfortable that, that they are visitors that do not interact with their local lives. There was a, a Czech town that actually made performance cycle, like, like, a, like a set of performances that uh, included walking a dog around the city because you can't really do it anymore. It's all full with tourists. And, and of course, we all know Barcelona cases like tourism, terrorism and everything else. So that is the second part that kicks in. Uh, is that growing good? And if it's good, if growing uh, economically is, is coming more and more these days, maybe we, sort, we need to sort out the situation with, uh, with you know, making the place still as local as it is. And, and, that, come, and that puts me in this, in this tourism critics uh, part, because I'm not a big fan of over-tourism, but I'm also not a big fan of, of blaming some sort of very obvious things. Uh, the situation with Riga is that, yes, we face a little bit of over-tourism during the summer season. Well, of course, the, the high season is basically May up to October. Well, September, but, but I also think that, yeah, okay, October is more like a shoulder season. So that's May to September, like any other city. But uh, the biggest problem is that a lot of people visit Old Town. And Old Town is this... this uh, you know, where you can get all the perks and perils, right? It's beautiful, it's good-looking, it's uh, representative, um, and a lot of people visit it, but that's the problem. A lot of people visit it, and then they don't, don't realize that Old Town is 1% of the territory of the city. It's like going to Paris, taking a photo of the Eiffel Tower, and going away, and saying that I've been in Paris. Yeah, maybe. But have you seen the locals? Did you see the architecture? Did you see how they live, what they do in the evenings? And, and that, that actually saddens me. And, and it saddened me for a very, very long period already. And, and actually, when I did my master's thesis, I was uh, talking about this regionalism that could help a lot of cities. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that uh, this, the, the idea behind this regionalism is when every single region of a city, a neighborhood of a city, uh, can offer equal socio-historical, uh, architectonic, uh, cultural life. So if you go there, you basically don't need Old Town. You can go to, uh, yeah, you can go to Camden in London and you don't see the, the London Bridge, you don't see the, the panorama view, you don't see all of the, you know, regular things, but you still see London, you see its, its good sides and bad sides, but you, you you don't become a tourist, you become part of the city. And uh, the idea was, of the regionalism, that you could sort out the problem, a lot of people now mentioned that, you can sort out a problem of over-tourism by distributing people all over and saying that, you know, when you go to that suburb, you're still going to see Riga. When you go down to that suburb, this is the same city, it just looks different and it, and it plays with your expectations. Because let's be honest, we are around 700,000 people in Riga still. Well, it's, it's changing all the time, so I'm always keeping uh, the answer to this number. And we have 1.5, 2,000 people living in Old Town. So the same with Venice and Dubrovnik. Mm -hmm. And where are, are the 650 plus thousand people living? Somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And that's one problem. So when you visit Riga, when you visit Old Town, you only see other tourists. And another problem is that uh, I, when doing the master's thesis, I also constructed like a test version of a thing called the landmark roads. It was a weird thing and I thought that would be a great idea and actually turned out to be catastrophic. When you, when you have top 20 booklets or top 10 or top 7, it depends on the city, and you just page them through and you put all the locations on the map. Now, for example, there's, you know, in, in Paris, there's uh, Eiffel Tower, then there's Champs-Élysées and everything else. And then you make the biggest space you can cover mm -hmm. by pointing them together. You know, just drawing a line and see how much space does it cover. So in case, if you want to walk all of the directions, in case, if you want to do it. 
you can see the city at some point. And mm. um, Paris actually, despite the number of tourism, was one of the best cases in, in Europe. And when you take the city, it was covering 33%, around 35%. So the objects were spread out. They were scattered all over the city at some point. Well, mostly the west, yeah, west side or, or south side. And when we took Riga, and when we took all the brochures, uh, the result was 2-3%. That's frightening. That's frightening when you realize that tourism will come, uh, tourists will come more and more. Mm -hmm. And they will stick only to this place. Yep. And we've always suggested that you do not point down 15 objects in Old Town. You point one object, the Old Town. And then you use those, in rigorous usually top, top 15, top 20, and you use these other top uh, locations and you pinpoint them all around the city. So when you take a bus there, when you take a tram there, you see a lot of cool things on the way, but when you, once you go down to that suburb, you realize that a lot of youngsters living there. You realize there's a lot of green space and a lot of hipster families live there. And you go to that area and you realize that there's um, a lot of beautiful architecture that I've never, never noticed before. And you go down to another place uh, that only takes 15 minutes from Old Town and you, you see that there's all the wooden architecture from revolution times of Tars and everything, you know, Empire of Russia is still alive. Mm -hmm. and, and this is where locals live. This is where you see the face of them. This is where you hear the language. Because uh, now uh, in Old Town, you're, you're mostly here, if it's not English or Russian, then you hear any other language around the world. And of course, that's a beautiful thing. But you do not see the reality. And the re I think reality is related to people. When you go to nature, mm -hmm. you want to see the trees, the rocks, boulders, animals, birds. When you go to the city, yeah, you want to see architecture. But eventually, people is what make uh, a city city absolutely but the, the, the my only point on that would be and i agree absolutely with all of your points and i think it, it's frightening that as you said you know if you look at those different landmarks uh, around about riga that it, you know it gets concentrated on you know two percent of the city however every piece and i mean every single piece of information online including official sources as well as literature brochures in hotels everything is echoing exactly that. There is nothing officially or unofficially that's directing people anywhere else. So for me, never been to Riga before. I'm here for two days. I've no idea what there is in Riga, genuinely. Mm -hmm. so, so when I travel, I don't, I try not to do a huge amount of research because I don't want to have any preconceived ideas. So coming to Riga here, I knew nothing about Riga. Didn't know what there was to see, to do nothing about it at all, complete ignorance. And every single piece of literature that I could see was directing me to certain points, mainly in Vekariga, in the, in the old town. Well, it very much depends on the destination, of course. Mm. Uh, but there we go. This is just another That's, very good example yeah. where we go into this, this challenge. And it, I, I don't really call it a challenge. I call it a problem. Challenge is what you know, you, you're excited about changing mm. things. You know? Are you excited about this obstacle we have? When it, when it goes down to problem, we realize that we are, we are doing something that is utterly wrong. And it's the same with Barcelona, and it was the same with Amsterdam. And Amsterdam has been changing a lot. They really try to kick people out. They really try well, to change. Amsterdam Castle. Yeah. You know, the renamed that castle, castle to Amsterdam Castle. That is really not Amsterdam. But yeah. the idea is that uh, I think the problem comes about the mindset that we are still struggling to believe ourselves. We're still struggling that the city is worth seeing from all levels that we we believe that several places are dangerous several places are not all that beautiful and the same thing happened 10 ish years ago when uh, a british guy who literally started alternative tourism in, in 2007 2008 he came here and he was uh, astounded uh, about the central market he saw these five massive zeppelin hangars that yeah. were not really zeppelins there but they were just reconstructed mm. But he saw these massive, uh, massive buildings and he was like, wow, why you never take people there? And, and then the answer was like, yeah, it's too far, maybe it's too dangerous, you know, pickpockets and everything. And he started to take people there and, and I joined and we started to take loads of people through the suburbs and we, talk, we were talking about, yes, these things are shady, 
but this is the city. Mm-hmm. And, and now these free tours that they've been running are the most popular free tours in the Baltic. And they're, they're visited by loads of people that really are looking forward to see something else. But you need to realize that there is, there is something else yourself. Otherwise, some people come and do the change. But yeah, that, that's the problem with the mindset. Uh, I would really like to see that there are many other places being pointed out. And there are a lot of, a lot of uh, initiatives in Riga that try to make their own maps, try to make their own stories, and, and try to make their own tours, suburb tours and everything else. But once it doesn't go centralized, uh, most of the energy is just... Uh, used on, on getting those 15, 20, 25 people per month that are interested in that. And, and um, this is where the problem comes. And I really, really hope that Riga would understand the benefits of, of spreading people out so everybody can enjoy Old Town but also can enjoy something else. What, what, would, what would be your sort of top um, alternative uh, sites or experiences for people to do. Uh, anybody listening who's considering coming to Riga, what would you recommend that they do if they were to come here for two or three days? Riga actually is a big city. It is three times larger than Paris city area. A lot of people don't know about that, but it takes 30, 35 kilometers to cross over Riga uh, on foot well, or, or, or by car. And it consists of 58 neighborhoods. So I would really concentrate on neighborhoods now. I would really say that you can go to that little uh, Camden area, or you could go to that little uh, Gracias area, like in Barcelona, and you're going to get all of it. And, and of course, you don't need to begin with Old Town, but I would suggest Old Town. I wouldn't say visit that church or visit this church, because I believe Old Town in Riga is one of the smallest in the among the Baltic capitals and I think Altan is also smaller than in Sweden, the island, the old old part of Gamlestag uh, uh, or what's the name of it, but it is very tiny mm-hmm. so you could see it, we, we usually do tours two hours, two and a half hours if you're like really interested into history that is absent sadly because Altan was changed, rebuilt, bombed, rebuilt again, torn down rebuilt again so uh, if you go back a hundred years you're going to get 25% of the original material everything else is replica everything else is gone that's the saddest truth of all time mm. but that's one just all time you spend two three hours there and then you go across the bridge and you could begin with Argenskans which is um, a very popular area these days for uh, young families we usually, we usually now think that the, the most valuable traveler and most valuable uh, resident of the city is, is 24, okay, 18 up to 44 uh, of age, because these are the people that are interested in changing something, interesting things, being more open-minded, and, and they are really looking forward to make the city life better. And also as travelers, they are most likely the the age that are interested in going across the bridge. Once you go across the bridge, you can begin with the library and then you can go to Argenskan suburb that is a very old, very, at some point, undeveloped suburb because there are some streets that still look like 150 years ago. But uh, that is a complete different picture. And like you said, it's very walkable. And you can go there in 20 minutes and then you take a break and then in 10 more minutes you are in this little funny fairy tale with the old wooden houses, with their own markets, with a lot of families, a lot of undeveloped areas because Riga is very famous as a city with undeveloped infrastructure. But still, it is, it is a wonderful, wonderful spot. From there, you can go to uh, Kipsala, uh, which is uh, a bale island, basically. It's, it, it was uh, once an old... Um, historical harbour, well there's been harbours all over the city, it was always a, an important port. But you can go up and down and, and you can see both one of the best panoramas of the city, because then from, from the other side of the river you can see Old Town full, and you can also see a lot of very beautiful, oh, decorated and, and overpriced buildings. Uh, but still they are renovated, they are not 
built from scratch and, and, and replicated uh, and, and they are not just some sort of postmodern nightmare. And then you can go across the cable bridge, the suspension bridge, which is Weinschapfels. And yes, then you can take the uh, quiet centre, which is actually a very stretched area and that introduces Art Nouveau to people, or Jugendstil, or Stilmodern, or Secession style, it depends how people call it in their own countries. But that basically is the, the architecture at the turn of century, uh, of 19th and, uh, and 20th century. So it's all beautiful and all noise, but you need to you need to keep in mind that Riga has 800 plus examples of architecture, not only one Alberta street, and this is also what we try to fight against. And from there, you can you can visit the center. That is a massive area. It's basically like like the, the Manhattan. It's mm. very it's very very uh, very perpendicular. It, it's planned, so it means it's a new town, but still it's hundred years old. And a lot of Art Nouveau, a lot of modernist architecture is there, and, and a lot of life is going on there because it's the center, it's the downtown officially. And uh, from there, if you if you if you're a bit into subcultures, then you can you can go two ways. One of them is um, uh, Brassa neighborhood, and Brassa offers you uh, some underground dance clubs, and and it offers you some hipster streets, and it offers you some uh, cemetery parks, you know, it's very, very mi mixtured. It's very interesting. The weird, weird col uh, collaboration, and there's also a new uh, talent, uh, ten uh, suburban cultural space like creative quarters, and and it's a little bit underground and it's a little bit uh, dilapidated, but uh, it's been occupied by young people these days, and and every single day there's something happening, and of course when the summer comes it's going to be more active, even even in winter, and then from there you can go again down to uh, to the center to Griesenkons, which is another area that is opposite to Argenskons, again very old, looking like the the time of Tar, uh, during the Imperial Russia time, but it's very renovated, and I'm actually Super surprised why the city spent so much money to renovate all the streets in the manner of 1905 and renovating all the parks there and then keeping up the underground ghetto life. Uh, there's this ghetto music, ghetto basketball, ghetto street art. This is basically a park occupied by uh, streetball, basketball, uh, skate. It's called Ghetto Games. It's not a very good name in, in, in global meaning. But it is uh, very much related to urban culture, street culture, youth culture. And it's happening right next to the imperial Russian architecture. So it's very interesting. And then you can go down to uh, Arwater Street. And that is, I think, very Berlinish-like. And it's full with do-it-yourself pubs and bars and clubs and, and, and tap houses where you can get uh, craft beers and where you can get a lot of locals moving in now. Uh, because that area is very close to the center, but it's at some point very distant. It's more quiet, and, and that street actually is very good because one part of that is drivable, and the other part is only for for bikes and public transportation. So it's half quieter than many other streets, and and it's full with these very interesting libraries and these very interesting pubs, and it's only full with locals. And if there are a lot of non-locals there that they are literally interested in subcultures so it's more like a subcultural neighborhood and it's active year-long summer or winter day and night so this is the circle i yeah. just suggest yeah, yeah. and that takes several days to take it and it takes uh, several tastes to to for, for you to enjoy and then if you want to go down to completely um if you want to go completely amok as a tourist and traveler you can go down to muskachka which is the central market, and it, and it actually takes you there. Central market and everything beyond, there's this La Stadia neighborhood that was probably one of the first suburbs in the city seven plus hundred years ago, and then disappeared because it was just generalized together with Moscow suburb. But it's full with weird people, weird architecture, old wooden houses, some Soviet things. It's like very much post-Soviet mixture of everything. So every neighborhood has its own blow. It really just depends. Do you give a lot of energy to uh, 
uh, to areas of power and wealth that are old time and the quiet center, as we've been doing for 30 or actually 50 years, because we talk about kind of active tourism since 1970s, because of Soviet times. Or do you really spread out the energy, like pointing out, I don't know how much did I do, like 10 or, or 12 neighborhoods, yeah. pointing all of them, saying that if you're looking for subcultures, go there. If you look for a little bit of dodginess but fun, go there. If you look for uh, high class, very much renovated and expensive wooden architecture and quietness and good view, go there. If you go for family friendly suburbs, go there. I think we should really think in, in a manner of, of interest, not in a manner of what's your age or, or, or where you come from, what's your language you speak and, and what we believe is the best thing. Where where can we direct people that are listening to this podcast to find out more about all these neighbourhoods? Where's the best place for them to start to, to do some research if they're thinking about coming to Riga? That's a good question. That's a very good question. And I'm afraid I don't have many answers. Okay. So, so, so low season traveller, obviously, is, is where um, they're going to come. I mean, obviously, I'll do some research for yeah. um, all of the articles and for the website anyway. A lot of people would begin with several kind of blogs and... And you can begin with a blog that is actually mine. Oh, and, wonderful. And I really try to change the perspective of what Riga is and really want to be honest and unmerciful about it. Yeah. Because I believe when you come to Riga and say, welcome to this beautiful old town, you will never going to get pickpocketed and never going to be yelled at. It's, it's a lie, so I want to be honest. Yeah. And it's called Capital Riga, uh, dot EU. And uh, you can begin with that and you can just write keywords you're interested in. You can get articles about city life or some problems that are political or maybe even we like, we like burning things down in the city and also in the country. Okay. We have this uh, old grass burning tradition that actually is quite Soviet, but we try to fight it. So even from that perspective. Wonderful. And you could begin with that, and they also cover a few neighborhoods, and, and I, will, I, I cover more stories that might be interesting for people that look for something else. Um, then, of course, you can begin with TripAdvisor. And I, and I think oh. you skip first 10, <laughs> yeah. and then you go for something else. Yeah. Um, but even if you're interested, if, if you're not interested in tours, but if you want to get something else, just opportunities or, or, or areas that might be of interest, you could go to uh, Eat Riga. Um, it's basically a, a, a traveling company. They, they organize tours and they organize rides. Uh, I used to work with them, but I also... Uh, did, we did construct the idea of what people are looking for. Mm. So even if you go there and look for tours, and if you never join the tour, but if you just take the keywords like this neighborhood, or you're going to see this neighborhood, or you're going to see this area, um, you can find them on your own. Um, yeah, and that basically is it. Maybe I, I forget something and I remember that at the end, but uh, there are several blog, blogs. Uh, you can just try... You can, you can write... Uh, you can search for blog Life in Riga. Mm -hmm. And Life in Riga is a blog that actually my colleagues, my, my previous colleague, uh, still writes. And it is a blog about people that are from different countries living in, in Riga, mostly. Okay. And, and it has a very interesting perspective that you, you, you don't look through the eyes of a local that sometimes can be, you know, a little bit blurry because we have our private things and then personal opinions, but you look through eyes of a person that has never lived here and how he feels the area is, 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 uh, is reflecting with him. Uh, so yeah, it's all now blog culture. And um, you can actually try to find something also in Latvia.travel, which is our webpage that is related to the whole city. But uh, I think we also, time and time, try to tell different stories about Riga. But of course, it's not our job because our job is, is, is the country. Mm. We try to promote Latvia as, as a great destination. Live Riga is the, the webpage and the organization that copes with everything uh, happening in, in the city here. So yeah, maybe I forget I forgot something, but there are some That's some in, individual uh, uh, intra, interesting things that are going on, and and uh, you can uh, I think you can simply write 
I think you could begin with writing subculture Riga in Google. And you're going to get something that might pop in like some concerts or anything else. But uh, I, I, really, I really suggest using Facebook. Yeah. Mm. Like we, we were talking before this recording and you said that you were using Facebook events yeah. just to find something new about yeah. the city. And we use Facebook a lot. We have one of the most, I think, one of the most active social media users in Europe. Because internet is, is a normal thing. I think like, internet for us is a right. And, and if, you, if you go there and if you just, if you, even in your own country, but if you just choose Riga and the date you're coming, you can get loads of stuff. And, and I also, by writing my own blog, I've, I see a good event, but it's all in Latvian. And I also write them and say, maybe you can translate that a little, bit, little piece also in English so people can understand. And, and maybe, maybe they can just can translate if they know only Spanish. They, they will most likely get translated better from English at, at Google. I, I checked with the, on the, the one that I went to last night, uh, which I found via the Facebook groups, which was a, a Toastmasters Association of Riga, um, which was just bizarre. I've never been to a Toastmasters event in my life before, um, but it was utterly fascinating. And, and actually, I was sufficiently inspired to, um, to join the Toastmasters back in Manchester when I get back to the UK. Um, but that one, I actually I sent them a message ahead just saying, look, I just want to confirm, is this in English? I'm visiting here, and I just really am interested into, into what goes on. And I got a response straight away. And I could, I could see that the events side of Facebook is used, is obviously used quite a lot, because there's a whole load of events, actually. Yeah, lo yeah, lots of events you don't really want to visit. There's the weird stuff. Yeah, on. sure, but yeah. that actually gives you the feeling that Riga is a big city. Yeah. Riga is vibrant, and sometimes we even laugh that actually we, we need 100 more thousand people, 100,000 more people. Uh, so we could be more vibrant and it would be enough for, uh, for places to be full in a good way and, and for events to happen and some sort of sustainability moving on. Not only talking about nature, but also talking about the, the life of, of business, the life of uh, life, lifespan of business and lifespan of places and, 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 and neighborhoods and also public transport uh, could find meaning in new routes. There are more travelers. And, and, and we really, really hope they are going to be the tourists. But we really, really hope they are going to be the tourists, not on old time. We want them to spread out. Uh, but yeah, we, we understand English. We speak English very well. And especially the young, younger generation. Maybe they are not feeling very comfortable because sometimes they don't talk that much with others. Um, but there are even cases when the Latvian youngsters speak with the Latvian-born Russian youngsters in English. So it, it, it becomes a common thing. But when you talk about tourism statistics again, then the uh, majority of, of people coming here are the English speakers. Yes, we have uh, close to 200,000 people from Russia, but they either speak Russian or they either speak English, if that's a younger generation. Mm -hmm. Then we have a lot of people from Germany, a lot of people from Estonia and Lithuania, and again, it's mostly English. And of course, we have a lot of people from Scandinavia, in a way that it's Finland and, and, and Sweden. And then also England, and again Poland, and again France, and and all of these countries are very more or less the younger generation are very well in English. So we understand that these people are, are speaking the language. Uh, some companies don't, even big concert organizers don't dig that. That it's okay to have travelers coming in, and it's okay to change the idea of of a tourist that we we become more travelers. We go to areas and see what it offers, not go to area, take a photo at, at a location A because it's our plan and then go away. And uh, once it changes, the faster it changes actually, the, the, the better we all do. Mm. And Copenhagen is a good, good example when they decided that this is the end of the traditional tourism. We want people to feel like travelers. We want tourists to feel like locals and, 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 and uh, locals look at travelers as a local for two days. Yeah. And it's common agreement of common good and happiness. In particular, with regards to in the low season, what is there to do in the low season in, in Riga? And how does that differ from what it's like in the peak seasons? Well, it's cold. It's cold. <laughs> For a lot of people, it's cold. Um, and I, I've, been, I've been doing several tours and, and, and then there's, it's like, minus five or minus ten and people are like freezing and they don't have gloves and I just like what the hell like what what the hell you were thinking coming here to northern Europe without <laughs> gloves right 
and mid of January, for example. Yeah, it's not. And good. then I tell them and tell them the story of three Australians that joined my tour. Uh, middle of February, and it was minus twenty one, and they th and those three guys they survived, right? And I say, if they could, that you can too. <laughs> uh, but I, I I can refer to Brodsky, who was a big fan of of Venice, that well he had this uh, not very good book called uh, uh, Waterline, I think that was that was a call, but uh, he was quoting this one thing that beauty at low temperatures is beauty. And I really think that is a, a great thing about Latvia. When you come here during the off-season, you're not going to see anything made up. You're not going to see happy souvenir sellers on streets. You're not going to see these, hey, come and buy my CD, street musicians. You're not going to see all of those things that you see are just marketing or just related to trying to sell something. When you come to Riga during the winter season, you're going to get this cold light, but that cold light enlights the, the architecture the way it could never do in summer, and it could never do in South Europe, for example. Right? It, it's a special light. And when you come here during the off-season, you can actually, if there is snow, you could actually ski and you can actually uh, skate, uh, you can actually, yeah, you, you can ski and skate in Riga and it's just a matter of 15 minute or 20 minute walk. Um, you know, ice hockey is a cool thing to us mm -hmm. and, and Riga is pretty flat so you can always find some places where you can literally ski around. Um, but that's when the snow is. And, and I really think that Riga is a great destination for, for business tourism. And as many cities uh, use their off-season to be welcoming towards uh, mice events, meetings, incentives, uh, exhibitions, events uh, of that sort, then Riga actually is a perfect location. As we all know, the prices drop a little bit and, and hotels are, are freed and, and you could bring bigger bigger groups here or, or bigger amounts of people for one event and and everything is cheaper also the the organization is cheaper but uh, the idea is that the weather is more or less whether it's cold or whether it's hot here and there's this middle shoulder season but when you come here in, in January or February a lot of actually events are taking place a lot of business events are taking place at that time because um, there's actually no tourists around, so there's only your city and, and, and the weather's not rainy. It could be cold, but at least you can just get a better jacket and, and it becomes comfortable when it rains in Mediterranean, right? When it rains in Cyprus or it rains in Malta and when it rains in Barcelona, we know it's not very comfortable. It gets very chilly and it's very moldy and moisty and, yeah. and it's different. It's again, different feeling. So I think if, if you're looking forward to uh, business tourism opportunities, Riga is a great location. It's good price, good location, very good connections. Talking about both the buses, co co uh, coaches and, and, and also um, well the airplanes. And Riga is the biggest hub and it covers the biggest percentage, more than a half of, of, of flights in, in, the, in the Baltic area. And, and we have those millions and millions of passengers just raising every single year. Uh, but uh, Riga is also a Hanseatic town. So it means we have German history for centuries. I, I, I think we even still have German history now going on. We, we have a lot of uh, students from Germany coming and studying medicine and a lot of Erasmus are coming here. Um, Erasmus students are coming here. And Riga is I think famous at some point with its Christmas markets. Maybe we're not beating Estonia that tries to be the best Christmas market in the world and I think that's a mistake. When you try to be the best of something you attract too much people. But when you try to be honest and, and when you try to be uh, local and you try to be the market you are then I think Riga is a very good destination. We have several markets in Alten of course, several outside and every single uh, as they call it, hipster markets, but these suburban cultural spaces, they also try to make their own activities. And we have a very good feeling because it really feels like winter. Uh, even in Central Europe, when you have some German towns, uh, the weather does not allow you to feel like winter, like closer to Santa Claus, right? mm -hmm. you know, closer to North Pole. And in Latvia, 
when it snows in the Christmas market, and it usually does, it, it, it is like a, a fantastic, beautiful thing. And we talk about beauty, and we talk about romance, then of course a lot of people might choose to come to Riga on February, which is again the romantic month. But well, it's romantic and bloody cold, yeah, it's really <laughs> freezing. But there you go, you can, you can find different things, and, and, and we, we have this Riga street food market that the, some people like, some people don't, but it happens in January. And it's a good event, uh, even when, when talking about an event on the streets in the winter. And we have October as a crazy month with, with uh, music festivals uh, around the country, actually, still with the with, uh, movie festival, which is Riga International Film Festival taking place. And that's like two weeks again with, with extra nectar things. November itself is a great month to come because it's a, a national month. We have several national days related to the patriotic movements, but we have light festival, then we have all of the Latvian holiday offers and, 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 and it just moves on, moves on into December which is the Christmas month and, and the New Year's Eve of course. And I think New Year's Eve here is much better because we don't have the traditions of Berlin to shoot all the fireworks around the streets and, and, and kill someone or hit someone with, the, with, <laughs> with, with some sparklers. No, we don't do that. We, are, we, are, we really like to enjoy the, you know, the fairy tale thing and Riga is also not that packed as many many cities so you Absolutely. could you could choose uh, you could choose over any other major city in Europe and come to Riga for New Year's Eve and you're still going to get it mm. and and you're still going to enjoy it and then of course January and February are the quiet months but like I said you can always find something else there and if you want if you're looking forward to uh, so some some winter entertainment and, and skiing or skating even snowboarding then Latvia is a good destination if it's snowy and, and if, it's, if it's below zero Latvia is a good destination in January or February because the prices are still very good and the distance is also very good you can stay in Riga and you can go one hour one and a half hour to a famous hill that is maybe not as high as in, in Alps but it's well maintained and it's good feels and you can actually go back to Riga again in the evening so you can have breakfast in Riga, you can spend the whole day in, in hills. We don't have mountains though, <laughs> just, just little hills. And then you can come back in the evening and get dinner again in Riga, and if you have a car. So it's very, very compact. Um, so yeah, that, that is what can you do in, uh, uh, in, in the off-season. And I would be glad if there were more options. I would be glad that you actually, if we followed some things that Reykjavik does, and they have the Dark Night Festival, they have uh, the Sonder Festival that has moved as a franchise uh, to take place in Reykjavik in February, I think. So when nothing happens, you just make events, yeah. and, and that, will, that will drag people to you. I, uh, I definitely, definitely want to come back in January or February, I think. You, uh, so you maybe, can, so you, maybe next year. Maybe you can next start, year. You can I'll start with November. <laughs> if you are a big fan of winter sports, maybe you can come here in February, January, yeah. February. Yes. You think you think gently, gently start off with November and see how I get on. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> but anyway, uh, whether you whether you uh, are planning to come here next year or this year, you can always consider coming any month because, well, I'm a big fan of sustainability, but the flights are cheap. And a lot of people, despite being fans of, of not spending CO2 uh, or, or, or choosing buses over flights or choosing uh, private vehicles over flights, they will still fly. Mm -hmm. And they will still fly to Riga because the, the flights are very good, the flights are reasonable or cheap, and, and you can basically take your, uh, take your chances and, and book a trip two months prior and still you're going to get a good price you you will have a possibility to book a room in a hotel or book a room in airbnb and actually a lot of people use airbnb these days because they are spread out they are somewhere in suburbs and i do understand why people do it because they want to live with the locals or at least go down the street uh, go down the street and, and just take the next uh, bakery and see a local working there and not other tourists queuing up for for buns Absolutely. So, I think Riga is a good destination during the off or during the off season, just because it still has this authenticity. It just uh, you just need to open yourself up. And well, Latvians are introverts, so uh, maybe they are you know going 
they are hibernating through winter, but still, when you you become a, a, a acquaintance of ours, we we are very talkative. On that note, Martins, I think we're we're pretty much out of time. Um, just want to thank you so much for taking the time to see me while I've been here in Riga. It's been absolutely fascinating speaking to you. Um, and for all the listeners out there, I will put all of the links that Martin referred to um, on the website, as well as a lot of the information. And also, please don't forget to visit uh, capitalriga.eu uh, for Martin's blog, as I absolutely will as well. Martin, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, please come to Riga and leave the sense as much as as fast as possible so there you have it another wonderful destination waiting to be discovered during the low seasons of october through april and some fascinating insights into the challenges of tourism management in cities like riga i'd like to thank martins for taking the time to share his insights with us this week and if you'd like to find out more about martin's excellent blog i would absolutely encourage you to check out at capital riga gazette on facebook I visited Riga in April this year and had two beautifully clear, crisp midweek days where I strolled the ancient streets of this wonderful city in complete peace with barely sight of any other tourists. My Ryanair flight took two hours and cost £50 and I stayed in the superb Welton Centrum Hotel right in the heart of the Old Town for £60 per night. Riga is one of the least expensive cities I have ever visited and it's wonderfully rich in history and culture too. Thanks again for your company this week. Next week, we head over to a city of winding canals and urban cool. And we also learn if locals of Hamburg are really known as hamburgers. If you're enjoying the podcasts, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to leave us a review on iTunes and indeed share the podcast with your friends and family. We're the world's first organization entirely dedicated to promoting travel during the low seasons in each destination as a means of alleviating the growing burden of over-tourism. And that's why our content will always be free for everyone, as we believe that travel is better without the crowds. <laughs>